Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, episode 43, the one about marketing job titles, AI dominance, LinkedIn profile videos, and Nomadland. Let's get on with the show. Well, hello and welcome to another recording of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. We are back with more news, tech content, and wisdom from the world of marketing. Joining me is my co-host, man on a mission to keep marketing simple, the voice of the Marketing and Finance Podcast, and the author of Cats, Mats, and Marketing Plans. I give you Monsieur Roger Edwards. Oh, thank you so much. And my co-host is also a man on a mission to demystify digital marketing. He's the host of the Content Marketing Studio video podcast series. I give you Mr. Pascal <laughs> Fintoni. Well, thank you very much, Roger. Thank you to you, viewers and listeners, for your ongoing support. It is much appreciated. Every single like, comment, and share means a lot to us. We have great fun recording and producing this show, but it is also lovely to know that it is adding a bit of light entertainment and something you know to think about during your week as part of your day-to-day so this is episode 43 a fine prime number roger let's start absolutely let's start with in the news yeah IKEA US launched an interactive quiz with Pinterest called Redocations. By answering three questions from a chatbot shoppers will be sent a personalized Pinterest board with product suggestions Every Friday until the 16th of July, Roger, Facebook will feature interactive and shoppable live streaming videos from beauty and fashion brands such as Clinique, Sephora, Bobby Brand Cosmetics and Abercrombie & Fitch. Amazon has acquired MGM, the movie studio behind the James Bond franchise, for $8.45 billion. This is the company's second largest acquisition after it bought Whole Foods for nearly $14 billion in 2017. Wow, well, 71% of surveyed customers do not believe brands will deliver on their promises. 75% of brands could disappear and consumers would easily find a replacement. According to Avas Media Groups, this is their 2021 Meaningful Brands report. According to Hayes and the Chartered Institute of Marketing, six in ten marketers are planning to change jobs this year with hybrid working practices and a sense of greater purpose rising up the career priorities list. UK domestic tourism is likely to be worth £51 billion this year, down from £91 billion two years ago. Spending by foreign tourists will be down to just £6 billion from £28 billion dollars a pound sorry in 2019 according to forecast by visit britain that was a lot of billions wasn't it stella artois and twitch recently hosted a virtual bullet chess challenge with grandmaster hikaru nakamura players each had a minute to play a full game and spectators were rewarded with branded merchandise well in august this year monopoly life-sized an immersive experience based on the famous board game will open to the public on Tottenham Court Road, London. The creators are promising a lively interactive experience and a great night out. Fantastic. What a set of news, but shall we just cut to the chase, Roger, and go straight to the Amazon news? Uh, acquiring MGM, the studio behind the James Bond franchise, and many others. I mean, again, Amazon's empire grows bigger doesn't it i mean the colossal size of this of this company now is just 
colossal beyond colossalness. <laughs> um, and again, you can understand it because Amazon do a lot of, uh, you know, their um, Amazon Prime on demand. We watch probably half of the stuff that we watch on Amazon Prime now. So it makes sense to buy a studio with a back catalogue, including the Bond franchise, I guess. So what was interesting is that when you look at the news or the different news platforms, it was quite muddled. Some said Amazon is thinking about it. Others said mm. Amazon has agreed to it. And others went as far as saying Amazon is doing it. So it's it's tricky one. But certainly the day after, if not even that same day, the producers of James Bond 25, uh, what's the title again, Roger? No time to die. Thank you very much. It went straight away and lied to say, oh, by the way, don't you worry about this news. We are still going ahead with a theatre release on the 7th of October. Nothing will change. So there must yeah, be some right. truth in that. <laughs> <laughs> well, they've changed that the launch date of, the, of Bond 25 so many times. I'm still, still not convinced. I mean, if there's a third wave coming into the autumn, you can just guarantee that it'll be uh, up for a delay again. But maybe, just maybe, because of Amazon's pedigree as an on-demand film supplier, maybe they would actually say, no, sorry, but it is going to go live, whether it's in the cinemas or whether it's on demand. So Amazon, please, let's get that film out there, please. <laughs> yes. So let's turn this to our viewers and listeners. What do you think? What is your prediction? Are we going to see James Bond actually being streamed <laughs> in October or are they going to stick to their theatre release first? So on purpose, Roger, uh, because it was my turn to prepare the news this week, I went for, of course, the news about Reno locations, a term that I'm sure you're very fond of right now. Portmanteau, what yet again, of renovation and vacational staycation. So we are in a situation now where people are, can be told by a machine what to do in and around their home environment. Yeah, it, it's interesting, isn't it? I was, I was what, having a conversation the other day about all of these things. I mean, what did they use? What were they going to call it? The Internet of Things. Is, mm. Does that even still exist as a concept now? Well, you know, when there would be a microchip in your Hoover and there'd be a <laughs> microchip in your fridge and there'd be a microchip in your barbecue, uh, all talking to each other and all telling you what to do. That sort of has gone away a bit, hasn't it? I, I'm not as worried about this uh, IKEA thing because it's all about furniture. And let's face it, I, I, I don't think anybody really wants to have their sofa talking to them. Well, I don't anyway. <laughs> but maybe it will just give you that that uh, you know that the ideas to you know on, on the color scheme or feng shui or something like that. I guess. For me, it's also about timing, since this is, after all, a marketing podcast. So this idea of, well, since you're stuck in, why don't you think about renovating your home and here's some ideas. But we are certainly, as a uh, as a global you know, population, we are looking for a way out of the lockdown measures. Uh, I know that you've had some news recently for Scotland, which are not great. But ultimately, I wonder if it's not a bit late, uh, or is it just trying to ride the wave from the whole of last where people were, were pretty much stuck indoors? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's some fantastic technology around these days. I mean, back in the winter when it was um, very cold, we had a burst pipe and we had a section of our ceiling came out um, in order to fix the burst pipe. Now, obviously, the builders couldn't come in from the insurance company to fix this because because of the lockdown. Now the lockdown's been lifted. There's a backlog, as you would expect, of um, jobs that need to be done. But we recently have been asked to choose the colour of the paint, which we're going to be 
using to cover up the uh, the 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 renovation job and of course what you can now do is you can literally just take a photograph of the room upload it to the website for the decorators and they will auto then will then superimpose the color onto the photograph so you can actually see what your room's going to look like in all the different colors now i can't remember that being available even four or five years ago the last time we did some decorating so these sort of things are quite interesting to let you see what you're going to be getting we are read out just the quick headline from the Havas Media, you know, the Meaningful Brands report for this year. 71% of Soviet customers don't believe that brands deliver on their promises. Now, just to give more details to you and our viewers and listeners, these are promises around values, around their commitment to the environment, around you know, what we call the, the cause that they want to subscribe to. And the majority of customers believe basically it's just a PR stunt and nothing will come of that yeah i i mean i i i sympathize because you know we've talked about this on the show a few times pascal and i i am always suspicious of those brands that leap onto these causes when you know all the all the way through that it isn't really ingrained within the organization and they're just buying into it as a publicity stunt or a, or a bit of pr and i think it's only those companies that genuinely put these causes into the fiber of their business you know so it's it's actually written into the culture those are the sort of brands that really do mean it and and i suspect that that's what's um swayed this this survey in the direction that it's gone and, and indeed you and i over the last year give or take you know in the new segment we have yep. read out announcement where we went that's odd that's peculiar. Good luck to them yeah. still. And I think the moment you have a bit of doubt, the moment you people just le left a little perplexed, I think you are already uh, losing the, the 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 battle of convincing that this is indeed you know part of your DNA and day to day. And talking of kind of signs, so you read out obviously the one about marketers looking for essentially a better work-life balance and prepared to leave positions and working for companies who have a greater purpose, but also the signs about the uh, kind of tourism uh, sector will be struggling for quite some years to come with uh, essentially revenues that are nearly half, if not two-thirds of what they used to be. Yeah, I mean, the, the travel is, uh, is something that is perplexing me on a daily basis now because as you know um before the the lockdown i used to do a lot of traveling as did you mm. um and i still just don't know where it's going you know we still don't have certainty over which countries are red which countries are amber which are rare uh, which are green you know do we have to self-isolate will france let brits in will britain let <laughs> french people in will you you know it's so confusing and you know i i really feel sorry for the travel industry you know airlines hotels uh hospitality cruises because they could just they just can't make plans because they just don't know when things are going to start to come back no i would agree it's it's and for me as you know i started my career in marketing in the tourism industry so mm. i still like to keep an eye out on it i still i'm still very fond of all aspects from air travel to you know domestic uh, tourism and mm. it's also a very large employer we we know that it's also one that invests a lot in technology and, and the like so 
it's a sector you know very much like the arts actually and, and film industry we want them to do so much better but very very difficult very difficult yeah. i mean yeah. you've got reports recently just to add on to what's happening where you know office uh, owners uh, kind of property developers really would like people to go back to work as in of go course. back to the office in larger cities and the likes because people are saying back to obviously Hayes and the Chartered Institute of Marketing. No, nah, that's okay. I'd rather stay in a smaller town. I'm going to ask my employer to actually rent or you know organize some co-working space for me. And this is the kind of life I want now. Yeah, but then I've also heard people say, Pascal, and, and I've, I've actually spoken to people, so I'm not, this is not just hearsay, who have welcomed the the work-life balance, which has allowed them to work from home. But also some companies are taking the verbial, you know, Mm -hmm. proverbial Mm -hmm. by making them work even more. Now, Zoom is incredibly um, convenient because it means we don't have to travel the length and breadth of the country to go to meetings. But it also means that you can cram more meetings into your day. And I have spoken to a few people who are saying you know, i'm working longer hours than i've ever worked before even though i'm working from home i'm actually working harder than when i used to have to go to the office well if that's the case may i suggest that you listen to episode 41 and 42 mm-hmm. of two mm-hmm. gigs and marketing podcast because we are actually reviewing and reacting to a lot of content in and around this idea of working from home, but also, you know, this work-life balance. Mm-hmm. Finally, just before we move on to the next segment, Roger, your reaction to Monopoly life-sized. Would you spend an hour and a quarter uh, in a kind of escape room type environment to play Monopoly? From a curiosity point of view, yes. I've always, I've, I've had a love-hate relationship with Monopoly. Well, I've always, it's one, <laughs> yeah, it's one of those fascinating games, isn't it? The concept is absolutely superb. And it's one of those games that ideally you want to play it maybe once every 10 years because it's quite an exciting game to play until you start playing it again. And then you realise, actually, it's it's a pretty dull game once you've got over that initial sort of um, excitement of the nostalgia effect. And, I mean, every single time I I end up playing Monopoly, after about half an hour thinking, okay, let's move on to something else now. So, yeah, I I, I love the concept, you know, buying and selling property. Um, So this might just elevate it into something a little bit different. Um, But the basic concept of Monopoly, it doesn't matter whether you have the London edition, the Paris edition, the New York edition, the Sydney edition, it's still the same bloody game. Uh, And and I do find that that same game has become a little bit jaded over time. So yeah, let's let's give it a try (laughs) in the the, uh, escape room environment. And to your point, they have invented rules to make the game go faster. Not to the extreme of the one-minute chase game. I can't even get my head around that. (laughs) But uh, for me, it's an interesting one. I can't help but think that is it actually its own uh, ultimate form of content marketing because I would argue that the brand and that the the owner, Asbro, I don't think they need more uh, to spend more money to get make the game famous. I mean, people buy probably every Christmas and probably, like you mentioned, the different cities but also the different universes you have i do believe a harry potter version monopoly and more and i'm thinking that seems like a big uh, expense for one venue of that mm-hmm. and maybe it is you know buying your space in the newspapers and media but making people talk about you by creating almost a sense of uh, well that's different that's unusual Let, let's talk about it but uh, i don't know my bet roger is that uh, give it a year and it'll be shut down 
Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. It'll be, be, it'll be sold. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's somebody else. Let's move on. Let's slow things down and begin with Content Spotlights. Okay, Roger, I know that this is one of your favorite segments. What wonders from the interweb have you got for us today? Okay, I don't even know how I came across this article <laughs> now, actually, Pascal. It's actually in the U.S. Chamber of Commerce website. And, it, you know, over the last few episodes of the show, we've been talking about something that's quite, you know, quite dear to our hearts, obviously the marketing profession that we've both been involved with for the majority of our careers. To my mind, to your mind, is being devalued in some circumstances. So we're seeing CMOs being dropped from the C-suite because marketing is not perceived to be an important part of an organization anymore. It's been demoted from the boardroom. Um, and, and, and you know, some of the things that we've talked about is because it's no, no, no longer strategic. We've become focused entirely on the communications element of the marketing mix. We obsess over the digital part of it and the digital toys, but we don't you know, think about things like product and price and all of that sort of thing. And and, and maybe that's one of the reasons why the, uh, you know, the profession is under threat to a certain extent. Now, the other day I came across a job advert um, on the internet and, and it sort of made me absolutely cringe, wince <laughs> and laugh out loud at the same time. And the, the job advert was for a content marketing Godzilla. Right. Let me say that again, a content marketing Godzilla. And I just thought, oh, for goodness sake, I know what's happening here. Somebody thinks that that sounds epically cool, doesn't it? I'm going to attract some Gen Z or some millennial to this job by giving it a crackpot title like that. But what it really is doing is playing into what we've been saying it just makes people roll their eyes those c-suite people the ceo of the business will be saying look at those marketing people messing around again not taking things seriously marketing godzilla for goodness sake definitely you are not sitting around this table um but it made me think about all the way through my career the job titles pascal <laughs> that we've been using now you know i think one of my the very first job title i ever had was assistant product manager uh, and all through my career i've been called a product marketing manager i was head of product marketing i was head of marketing marketing director i've been called a proposition director i've been called a marketing and proposition director i always thought that was stupid because proposition is part of marketing isn't it um, um then i saw this article pop up in my news feed and this is the one i wanted to talk about today it's on the u.s chamber of commerce website written by emily Heeslip, and it's called the six common marketing job titles and what they mean and it just attracted my attention for the reasons that i've just explained now again it's one of those articles i mean I read it and I thought, I agree with most of this, but there's so much missing. And I just, again, thought, I, I'm seeing another example of job titles, i.e. jobs, 
from all levels of seniority, from the top to the bottom, with bits taken out. So what I thought I would do is just talk you through a few of these job titles and, and, and the descriptions below. So the first one is the Chief Marketing Officer, the CMO. And uh, Emily describes this as the Chief Marketing Officer is the most senior executive on the marketing team. The CMO is in charge of building the company's brand, promoting the business and creating a strategy. Ah, the strategy words used for communicating and engaging with customers to boost sales. CMO may oversee advertising, marketing and public relations, all of which serve to promote the company to new and existing customers. CMOs will not only manage the team and set strategic priorities, but will also stay up to date on marketing trends and work to grow the business. So I'm thinking, actually, I'm pretty happy with that. But there's nothing in there that actually talks about price. There's nothing in there that talks about the product. Is a CMO not in charge of products anymore you know marketing is about identifying customer needs creating products to meet those needs pricing those products and then communicating those products to the customers so there's definitely something missing here from that job role and it also says that this person is in charge of engaging with customers to boost sales which again to me suggests that it's just about the communications again surely the chief marketing officer's role is not just to engage with customers but to understand them you know to become an obsession with that customer to understand them their needs and their frustrations and their desires so that you can create the product and the service so yeah We've got the chief marketing officer, but to me, it feels as if there's bits missing. The next one's a creative director, which uh, is more like an agency role, I guess. I'm not, I'm not going to actually go into that one in, in that much detail because it just talks about creating visuals, creating taglines and that sort of thing. The next two, though, we have a marketing manager and a product marketing manager. And my, my eyes sort of opened a bit when I saw product marketing manager because that was one of the first jobs that I ever did. So it says, the marketing manager straddles the line between creating a higher level strategy and working in the weeds to bring the organization's marketing to life. Marketing managers will hire and train marketing staff, delegate tasks, oversee the marketing budget, and do research to develop new campaigns. The marketing manager also performs competitive analysis researches consumer trends and measures the effect the uh, the effectiveness of marketing campaigns now again it sounds okay but i still think there's elements missing from this again there's there's we're not hearing much about the work about the customer we're not hearing about the product or albeit that there's a product marketing manager separately and that's possibly why uh, and when we're, we're just hearing mainly about the communications then we've got the product marketing manager performs the role for performs the marketing manager's role but for a specific product which is probably about right this role is involved in planning and managing the product release yes would agree with that setting competitive pricing ah the pricing word is used for the first time. Positioning the product, identifying the target audience, and managing the post-launch follow-up to retain customers and keep the product relevant. So I'm actually sitting here, Pascal, and thinking, do you know what? The product marketing manager job description in this article actually includes more elements of the marketing mix, to my mind, than the CMO does. 
And maybe that's just the way the article was written. Maybe the article was edited. But there's elements like pricing and positioning missing from the CMO role, which appear in the product marketing. And I hope that if the product marketing manager does all this, he's reporting to the CMO. So maybe that lets us off the hook. Then we have a digital marketing manager. And again, as you would expect, this is all about SEO. It's about websites. It's about social media. It's tactics. It's tactics all the way through. And, and, and I think that's fine. Um, I nearly chose a different article to talk about today, where which was entirely about a digital marketing manager. And I got really cross when I read that because it genuinely was just this person plays with the latest toys and there was nothing about setting of goals or um, achieving um, customer needs and that sort of thing. So actually, the digital marketing manager here in this description sounds pretty good to me. Then we've got a communicator communications manager now again i'm starting to think well isn't that the same as the marketing manager that we've just had a look at but then when you read down into this this is more of what i would describe as a pr manager so this is actually talking to newspapers and media outlets and that sort of thing now i would call that a pr manager i think communications as i would understand it is in the the marketing manager's role and finally a content marketing specialist or manager again aiming at the content and when i look at all of these pascal so we had the CMO, we've got creative director, we've got a marketing manager, a product marketing manager, digital marketing manager, communications manager, content marketing manager. Really, all of those are described mainly in the communication space again, with the addition of this product person who talks about price and positioning and identifying the target audience. So again, it just seems to me that it's reinforcing the taking away from the overall profession and and again the lesson that i learned from reading articles like this is we've got to constantly remind people and that includes us as marketers but also people in the c-suite and also people in other parts of the organization that marketing is about customers it's about understanding customers needs developing products pricing those products placing those products out there in the market and then promoting them with all these communications and all these digital tactics you know what roger uh, two things thank you very much for doing such a great job in summarizing you know what you read and putting a very very strong case forward i do have a lot of sympathy well to begin with you're right you know there's a caveat we don't we're not sure how this was edited and presented to, to begin with but i think ultimately it shows two level of difficulty and complexity number one Leadership and management is very, very different to being uh, part of the execution team, if you will. And, and I think there's already some very confusing titles that sometimes don't necessarily tell you. So you're right, sometimes someone is called a manager, where in fact, in my in my view, they would be more of a marketing executive, do you know what I mean, or a campaign executive. You also then have the find that marketing as a discipline is so multifaceted that people who don't know sometimes even struggle to express what is required. It reminds me a little of what I do sometimes when I have young mentees as part of my mentoring program. I said to them, if you've chosen marketing as a profession, be prepared to explain to others what you do throughout the whole of your career. Because it is complex, it is difficult to understand, and very often people only see, obviously, what they can see usually in the 
print media, on TV, or on the web. So they see just the end result of sometime weeks, months of planning or deliberation, of negotiating, and so on and so forth. And I think for me, you know, back to where you were summarizing, the moment there isn't a almost a big chunk of the job description to do with the audience and the customer, and there isn't a big deal to do with customer service as well. I just know that they're, they're missing something for sure. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, absolutely right. But I mean, it's a hobby horse I will continue <laughs> to ride. And, and, and unfortunately, or fortunately, depending upon your viewpoint, this show gives me the ability to ride that hobby horse. <laughs> uh, so Pascal, hit me with your content spotlight. So I hope to surprise you today with a BBC documentary. I don't think I've chosen this Ooh. format yet for the content spotlight. It's something that I, that I watched recently on BBC iPlayer, and it's a documentary looking at the future of AI, artificial intelligence. And the title of the documentary is Are You Scared Yet? Human? Question <laughs> mark. This is about the race for AI dominance, primarily from the US and China, but also asking the question, do we need urgently some regulation before we, we go too far down the line and down the road of letting AI take over many aspects of our lives. This is produced and directed by Matthew Hill, a name that people may be familiar with because he's been working a lot on radio and TV, particularly with Panorama and that kind of you know hard-hitting but thought-provoking documentaries and, and the likes. So the I would I put the link in the show notes, Roger. Uh, I highly encourage people to stick it out, whether on the BBC iPlayer for the UK, but I know it's been uh, also published through other channels around the world. Because I think right now in 2021, as we are halfway through the year, it's an important documentary to invite people to discuss around the boardroom table, but also, you know, around friends and family, what do we want our future lives to look like and be like? Because of course, AI is not going to go away. We've opened Pandora's box or the genies out of the box, whichever expression you, you consider. And whilst the documentary Rogers doesn't talk about marketing, I want to use the key message of, uh, of this documentary to ask for your views and reaction on the, I suppose, yeah, the importance or the dominance of AI in marketing as a discipline. So the, the documentary starts actually in a lovely way where there's almost like a, uh, a big history summary of the big events that led to where we are today. It feels almost like a visual presentation of this week in history for us, Roger. Under the uh, the soundtrack of Club to Death by Rob Dorgan, made famous by the movie The Matrix. And you realize, oh my goodness, the last 30 years have been incredible. I mean, it even starts that kind of intro from the Second World War with some of the early computers we have spoken about all the way to where we are today. The, 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 the documentary is split in two different segments, as we'd imagine, one called the imitation game, one called the inner eye, one called mind games. It ends with war games. So again, my job today is not to summarize a documentary. I simply could not do it justice. I was trying to use the documentary at the hook to talk about marketing. But war games, both the film he's mentioned um, from the 1980s, but also this idea of here we are. We've started with uh, actually something quite innocent. We wanted to talk to our computers and mobile phones. The imitation game talks about that. And we love this idea of seeking out information, but also having permission sent to us based on our behavior. We, we've kind of granted that permission to, to the different platform and to AI. So 
AI so far is helping us make decisions. Very, very soon, AI will make decisions for us. The risk is that AI will make decisions without us. And we, those three statements are kind of repeated throughout the documentary, and we look at different examples. Now, there's some times where it's very, very welcome, such as helping cure cancer. There was a scenario in the documentary about prostate cancer where typically a consultant would need to look at 150 images of a scan to detect whether or not you have it or you have the early stages of, of the prostate cancer. With AI, it can scan billions of images per minute and literally give you an earlier prognosis. So essentially extending one's life and quality of life. So there's many examples that you can see out there where it is helpful. But when you get into scenarios such as, for example, where they're called pre-action assessment or pre-emotional assessment, that is to say, before you've even done it, Roger, the AI could say, well, judge on what we know and judge on the data we have on you. We believe you're about to do the following or feel the following, so therefore we're taking action. Now, that could be, for example, that you could be sent a reminder that you need to have your second jab for your COVID um, vaccine, Roger, or if you live in China, you're simply told to stop and stay at home because you can't go there. You're simply told, you seem a bit nervous today. Are you up to no good? And <laughs> this is essentially you know, where we are with this kind of uh, race for AI dominance. I didn't know this, but China, 2017, launched the AI national plan, and they won by 2030 to be the number one nation for AI technology from wow. essentially everything that we've discussed. So there's all sorts of things, but this idea of AI help us make decisions first, now it will make decisions without us. Is this going too far? And then when it comes to marketing, we now know, Roger, that there are websites, .ai, literally with the URL, that will allow you to write an article by just putting a few keywords. AI can help you literally doctor your, your photography using deepfake. You could even have your staff allegedly creating video content. In fact, they've not said a word. It was all AI and so on and so forth. So, so without you know, creating too, too much of a uh, kind of doomsday scenario, is it time for regulation in marketing for us because that is our subject of interest? And do we need to be very careful that one day there would be a marketing campaign developed and published without any of our contribution as humans? This is this is a fascinating s subject, isn't it? I mean, uh, Theo Priestley, who I gave as a, a creator shout out a few shows back, uh, is very up on this whole AI, and he posted a tweet the other day which I loved, and it was a very simple sentence. It was something like, "Why do we insist on trying to make AI more and more like humans? Why don't we make it different?" And I thought, "Wow, that's quite perceptive, isn't it?" Because mm. surely. The the worst outcome is going to be if we insist upon trying to make it more and more like us, because eventually the sort of Terminator Skynet scenario will become a reality if we try to push it down that route. But whereas if we try to make it different, if we do regulate it and we do put constraints on it, then maybe, just maybe, the outcome will not be the sort of doomsday scenario that we've we all see in the movies. 
I think for me, there's two elements of AI. So obviously the ability to data crunch more rapidly than the human mind and brain, obviously not being subject to fatigue, so there'd be less human errors. But there's a point where I want to read an article authored by a real person, mm. not by the machine, or there needs to be a disclaimer. I don't want to have a version of the movie different to yours, Roger, just no. because of AI and so on and so forth. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, it, it, you can see why they're trying to do this. You know, these articles will be dry, won't they? You know, they will be well-written but dull. They'll be perfectly crafted but unreadable. <laughs> do you know what I mean? They'll, they'll, they'll be missing that humanity that makes us all real people and makes the content different. And I just, I just really hope that we don't end up going down that route where a lot of what we read and a lot of what we watch is actually produced by robots. So I think that that's one aspect. And the second one where, you know, maybe it is too late is obviously the tracking of individuals, both in terms of their physical location, but now adding that their emotional state and also, of course, their behavior in terms of consumers. Now, I know that, you know, when a brand has a good database, they could say, oh, that's interesting. Roger has been buying this kind of wine for a while. So let's offer him something you know, similar or even mm. ask him to try something a bit different. But that is around customer service and customer loyalty. But yeah. When you try and force, in the case of government, a view or a particular you know, value or a product that I've not asked for, this is going to get very, very tricky. And certainly I recommend people watching a documentary with that view, which is, it's not too late, but if we give it another couple of years, I reckon um, this pursuit for AI dominance in all aspects of life will take us too far, I think. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely agree. Let's right, put a well, stop to it now. <laughs> <laughs> there we are. Well, you know our positions. So both about you know the writing and descriptions of job duties and roles, but also where AI has a role to help us make better decisions, but certainly not to make decisions without us. This is a perfect segue somehow for the next segment, which is marketing tech and apps. Right, Roger. Have you found ways for us to be more productive and more successful as marketers and content producers? Well, I came across a new feature on LinkedIn uh, over the last week or so, Pascal. So I thought I'd talk about that. Um, so it's not a piece, a new piece of tech per se, but it's actually a new feature which I actually quite like. Now, obviously, we've criticised the likes of LinkedIn for introducing stories which they've ripped off from Instagram, who've ripped that off from Snapchat, etc., etc. And sometimes we've been a little bit perplexed on the show about the LinkedIn algorithm. But this caught my attention because it's it's just quite nice and I quite like it. And it's effectively a video profile video profile video or is it a profile video just a profile video instead of your profile photo um, and effectively what they're allowing you to do now is to record a 30 second video which will play within the circle that is your profile photograph which and it actually looks really cool because if you go to somebody's profile it just plays the first 10 seconds of the video within the circle. And depending upon what, what you've shot, it actually just looks really, really, really cool. So I was thinking, yeah, this is a really good way 
to make people connect and maybe say, this is what I do. This is the job I do. This is these are the people that I help. But you've only got 30 seconds. So you know what I'm like with my simplicity. You've got to say quite a lot and get quite a lot across very succinctly and very um, short and concise. So that's a challenge in itself. Um, then I found, as always, you can just guarantee this is the case, <laughs> Roger hasn't got this feature, whereas it seems that quite a few people within my network have got it. And again, you get that moment of frustration. You know how long it took for me to get LinkedIn live. And I know, Pascal, that you're still frustrated because yep. you still haven't got it. I mean, that's lunacy. <laughs> um, I even saw on, on the other day John Aspirian, who's probably one of the most uh, you know, revered LinkedIn people in the LinkedIn sphere. So he hasn't got LinkedIn. No, live. that's anyway, incredible. I that. mean, it's nuts, isn't it? <laughs> so I'm thinking, oh, well, here we go. This is just, uh, you know, the Americans get it before us again. Um, but then I made a, sh- a really subtle little discovery, almost by accident. Um, a friend of ours who, who, funnily enough, came on to our uh, attempt to do a Twitter space a few weeks ago, Eleanor Gould, the lady who lives over in Hungary. She's got this new feature and she created her own little introduction video. And ah, I made a discovery that if I click on somebody else's discovery video and I watch it to the end, at the end of that, it then invites me to make one of my own. So I tried that. And what I did find that if I didn't make the video there and then, my profile went back to normal in being it's it's not actually available to me on my profile. But if I then went back into Eleanor's uh, video and watched it again, at the end of it, it allowed me to to do it. So I did, and I've now got my own little video up there on, on the profile. So if you fancy doing one of these little videos and you haven't been, uh, been given this new feature by LinkedIn, don't despair. Just find somebody and, and, and by all means come to my profile and click on my video watch my video for the 30 seconds it's not that long and then you'll get the opportunity to do your own and i think that's a nice nifty little way around it and, and maybe the, the that was deliberate so the first shout out is to from a tech point of view is linkedin's profile videos second thing is that i thought it was very very important that the video that i put up there had subtitles. Now, I've mentioned the Clips app on the show many times in the past, and it does a remarkable job. But you know what, Pascal? For whatever reason, I couldn't get Clips when I was doing this video to work and get the the subtitles to, to actually record properly. So it prompted me to go to the App Store and find another app which I could use to put the subtitles into my video. And I just wanted something that I could do really quickly so i wouldn't have to upload it to youtube to get the srt file to then upload it into premiere pro or anything really complicated like this and i came across an app which is called mix captions mix captions and it worked incredibly well i just uploaded that 30 second video and within about five seconds there it had transcribed and added the subtitles. And I think I only had to correct about two or three of them. Now, as you would expect, you have to pay for an app like this if you want to use it in the long term. Uh, But I just wanted it for this particular 30-second video. Now, the downside is it sticks a watermark 
on the video. Right. But I was very clever. And actually what I did is I created a, a caption in the my video and th- that said Roger Edwards, and then I put that over the top of the uh, of the watermark. So that's probably a bit evil of me to try that, but hey, I just thought I would, uh, they're getting a shout out anyway. So if you need v- a quick video that you're on on the move, you haven't got the time to mess around with anything more complicated, then try mix captions. Wow, Roger Edwards. Listen, we've reviewed in excess of 150 apps by now. But I have to say, this is a one where it's not just knowledge. This is also the gift about yeah. how to do it and little ways in which you can also get it captioned and so on. Out of interest, uh, are they asking you to record directly from your mobile phone or can you literally get a video produced and then upload it to your profile? No, what 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 you can record it within the app, mm. um, absolutely. But for whatever reason, they've included a, a, a filter on the LinkedIn camera, which is a sort of um, it's it's a weird sort of yellowy orange color, um, and it it's a bit like a sepia, I guess. Okay, um, and I just didn't like that. But yes, you can also take the video in another app and upload it into the um, LinkedIn app, which is what I did. That's how I was able to add the, um, the the Roger Edwards name badge on it. And I also did a bit of jump cutting as well um, between a couple of scenes. So yeah, you can either do it within the app or you can upload it separately. And for people who think that 30 seconds is awfully short, let me remind you, you can show and share a lot of information in 30 seconds. If you think that majority of people are happy not to watch 10 seconds video clips on the likes of TikTok and more. And and indeed, most movie t- teaser trailers are around the 30 second mark. So just about being inventive. So what I would suggest, if I may react to this great, great, you know, introduction to your LinkedIn video profile, uh, do a bit of storyboarding, you know, yeah. doodle away be- before you start to record any messages. Brilliant. Well, for me, it's actually a reaction to last week's In the News. You may recall, Roger, we mentioned that there was a survey done of business owners and in around 50% did not know or didn't have the confidence to create an online profile. And that left me quite perplexed and troubled. I will confess, Roger, always looking for a solution as you are. I remembered one application that I looked at some time ago called about.me. Have you come across that one, Roger? No, no. So it's similar to a Linktree. I think Linktree is 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 known as well, where you can create a very simple but very professional-looking one-page website where you put photography, you put a biography, and then links to different ways in which people can get in touch with you, including a link to maybe Calendly and so on. So I was thinking, you know, sometime LinkedIn, first, is complex. There's a lot of things you have to enter. You get a bit caught out, and then you go back to it. And it takes a while until you'll agree to get your LinkedIn profile the way you like it. And, and, and maybe for you, you want to either supplement it or start with something much simpler. So about.me has both a free and a paid-for version. But it just sort of shows you a very slick-looking, very professional-looking. There would be no short-changing here to showcase who you are, what you do, who you help in a very kind of uh, simple way. So have a look at that. I think uh, it's a lovely one to have. It's also helpful if you are a very busy content creator, Roger. You want to share links to different blogs or podcast channels and YouTube channels. It's a lovely one to do. If you want to do something which is more 
around the service and products that you offer as opposed to you as an individual, then there's another platform called card.co, card spelled C-A-R-R-D dot C-O. As you know, Roger, if it's an app, you have to misspell the name. And this is, again, a very free, fully responsive uh, one-page website with lots of different features. But this one allows you to showcase more products and services than just yourself as a knowledge provider, a mentor, or a trainer. And I thought between those two things, you could learn, actually, back to your point a moment ago, Roger, how to explain what you do and who you help and how you how you help them in a much more succinct way that maybe LinkedIn, which can allow you to be very explicit and, and and spend time on what you do. But also that could be a lovely compliment. Maybe you could put this into the email signature. People can click on that. And that could be just a precursor to the website visit or to the visit of your LinkedIn profile. Sounds good. Actually, do you know what? I'm, I, I said I'd not heard about About Me. I think I have. Mm. I think I might have set up a profile on there years and years and years ago <laughs> and then forgot about it. So I'm going to log in straight after this and, and see what I'm saying about myself. I bet it's I bet it's old. I bet it's old and out of date. <laughs> I would definitely encourage you. I'm going to go back because I think sometimes it's back to this idea of, let me give you the kind of exec summary first on About Me and guide you to where you may find more information. Because back to my point a moment ago, sometimes websites or, or, or LinkedIn profile can be very content rich. And for a visitor who wants to get to the point and be guided, maybe a, uh, an initial stage could be the about.me or car.co pages. So have a look at that. Fantastic. Wow, Roger. Well, you know, as I say every single time, none of this will be possible without pioneers and visionaries from the recent and distant past. Let's move on to This Week in History. In 1944, Supreme Allied Commander General Dwight D. Eisenhower gives the go-ahead for the largest military operation in history, Operation Overlord, commonly known as D-Day. In 1946, television services stopped during World War II in the UK and started again on the 7th of June with a brief opening ceremony and a repeat of the Mickey Mouse cartoon that preceded the shutdown. In 1965, Major Edward White II becomes the first American astronaut to make a spacewalk, spending 20 minutes outside the Gemini 4 capsule during Earth orbit at an altitude of 120 miles. In 1977, the VHS video cassette format is introduced for the first time at the Consumer Electronics Show in Chicago. VHS video home system was based on an open standard developed by JVC in 1976. In 1980, Robert Ted Turner launches CNN, that's the cable news network, the world's first 24-hour television news network from its headquarters in Atlanta, Georgia. Well, in 1983, the science fiction film War Games is released, starring Matthew Broderick and Ellie Sheedy. The movie was a critical box office success and ignited a media sensation about the hacker subculture. In 1999, Sean Fanning and Sean Parker released the MP3 music file sharing service Napster. Just over six months later, the Recording Industry Association of America would file a lawsuit against the service. And in 2001, after 15 years in orbit, the Russian space station Mir burns up on the Earth atmosphere. The remaining debris falls safely into the Pacific Ocean between Chile and New Zealand. Some great 
items of history again there, Pascal. Absolutely. Yeah, no. Let's begin from the start, actually, with the Second World War. So you had, obviously, Operation Overlord, known as D-Day in 1944. And then two years later, the BBC television services could start again, having stopped completely during the duration of the war. I wasn't aware of that, Roger. But when no, you think about it, most movies that depict the the war, people listen to the radio and read newspaper. They don't watch TV. So, yeah. And, and what was interesting is that when the services stopped, literally, uh, at the start, it was halfway through a Mickey Mouse cartoon. <laughs> and the fact that the producers remembered and started the program with the same cartoon, I think it must have been something special for the audience at the time. Yeah, especially if they'd stayed sat in front of the telly waiting for it to come back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so Uh, incredible. You know, you both have the kind of um, ultimate event of human history, D-Day, and that's something very, very human. This idea of starting again, life is back to normal. Let's watch the Mickey Mouse cartoon that was interrupted all those years ago. Absolutely right. I mean... I lo- what I love about this selection of history is the sort of the way it's interwoven with with the um, you know the the viewing elements as well. We, mm. We've we, D Day makes me think of all sorts of different films. You know, Saving Private Ryan comes to mind. We've got uh, all sorts of different war films from all sorts of different uh, years. Where Eagles Dare came into my head there for some reason, Pascal. But you know. Most of those films we will have watched on a VHS cassette at some <laughs> point, unless, of course, you were one of those people who had a Betamax. I now was we, not. we, no, we were we were VHS through and through in our household. You know, we we didn't we didn't go down the Betamax route, which is probably a good job because we picked the right side, I guess, uh, because the, obviously the Betamax ended up uh, being phased out. But but again, you know, there it was for. However long it the, the the VHS tape nearly nearly twenty years was the mainstay of people's film entertainment and started all sorts of brands like blockbuster shops this that and the other and, and if you think where we are now with Netflix and and Amazon Prime how completely different our viewing habits have become completely and just a moment ago we spoke about Amazon buying MGM or mm. thinking about it or. Uh, about to do it. But uh, my claim to fame, just in, uh, within the context of Two Geeks and Marketing podcast, many, many years ago, I had a very large, vast collection of VHS video cassettes to the point where the house insurance company refused to insure us. <laughs> That's incredible. And there um, was the tapes they wouldn't insure. They, they said that there was such a number that, that there was no way they would, if there was to be a break in and they were stolen or damaged by you know, water, fire, they would do that. So uh, it was so funny that um, I actually contacted the local newspaper. And if you can get hold of the Evening Chronicle from the 1995 or 96, you'll see a picture of me next to a wall and from floor <laughs> to ceiling of video cassettes, standing there with my arm crossed on my chest, looking very proud and saying the insurance company said no. So, But uh, little by little, I had to either uh, give them away, sell them, or destroy them because, of course, we moved on to then DVDs, then Blu-rays. 
and now we're going to go online. But I think um, I have kept a number of VHS cassette because they are true collector items. Uh, and I think in terms of the artwork and, you know, that kind of uh, the weight of, of a video cassette compared to even the Blu-ray, it feels very different. Yeah, I'm sure we've got a VHS cassette player somewhere in the house gathering dust probably very very thick with dust by now but yeah i'm sure we've got one somewhere so have you ever seen the movie war games oh yes absolutely mm. i mean it is one of the classic sort of uh, coming of age films wasn't it around that time i was just coming out of school 1993 so i was still in school i was in uh, just coming out of the uh, uh senior school going into the sixth form at that point in time i'm i'm pretty sure that we watched war games um quite a few times uh, i think i might have had a bit of a soft spot for ali sheedy actually <laughs> if i remember rightly uh, but again it was that it was would you like to play a game um and that it was actually quite nail-biting, you know, at the end when oh, the end, it, yeah, it, was yeah. it was playing tic-tac-toe against itself. And, you know, the analogy was that this is the same as nuclear Armageddon. You know, my goodness, if it had decided to play the game, that would have been the end of everything. And, of course, the link with the uh, Common Spotlight is accidental because yeah. I actually you know, looked at this week in history way before the BBC documentary was available on the BBC iPlayer. But it just shows, you know, the subject matter. And, and for me, it was a year, just a year before we got our first computer, the Oricatmos, whereby, you know, you felt like <laughs> this ultimate power of you know, typing out print and that kind of things. But th this idea of being able to, create something from via this keyboard albeit it was a simple video game so i think I'm, i spent an entire week programming backgammon or something like this uh, <laughs> and then copy the, the code onto a cassette player but um yeah no again a movie that is perhaps not mentioned a lot which is strange because it was really hitting at the, i think the cold war was still going on if memory serves and, and of course it's back to this idea of people away from government had access to the tech that could really cause serious trouble. Yeah, and I think one of the scariest things about war games is it introduced us to the term DEFCOM. Um, and, and of course, DEFCOM 1 is basically nuclear war, isn't it? And I'm pretty sure that throughout the 80s, in real life, we got to DEFCOM 2 or DEFCOM 3 a few times. Mm. And I remember thinking, oh my God, you know, we're not far away from DEFCOM 1, and that is really scary. You mentioned a moment ago how we've changed in terms of our content consumption, but CNN, I had no idea it was created so early, 1980. I mean, to me, I don't know why. I thought it was just sort of, it arrived in the late 90s somehow. Yeah, do you know, Pascal, I, I, I often say, especially over the last two years, uh, with everything that's been happening with Brexit and with the pandemic, that the news media has a lot to... Um, you know, to answer for in, you know, scaring people and creating polarization of views, promoting populism and that sort of thing. And I just wonder whether, you know, we always say that a lot of the things that we rely on now, the technology, we rely upon these innovators of the past to give us what we have now. And I just sometimes wonder whether 24-hour news was just a mistake 
and that we'd be a lot better off today if we hadn't gone down the route. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have news. I think we should. But, you know, even now, you know, 24 hour and then they have the news update every 15 minutes. And, you know, it's the same stuff, regurgitated time and time again. And, you know, something might be happening. I, I'm just trying to think of an example. So something's happening outside a particular embassy in London. And, you know, 15 minutes goes by and then, have we had an update? Well, no, there's, you know, the wind's a little bit stronger than it was 15 minutes ago and the clouds have come over. But apart from that, nothing's happened. And then the next 15 minutes, and then they end up just wheeling on passes by and asking them for their expert opinion <laughs> and you just think oh for goodness sake go away and come back a couple of days later and actually give us an update of something that's meaningful and maybe you know maybe if we could go back in time and change a few things i i, I think that maybe news should have developed down a different path and that maybe we should have been more succinct rather than this constant regurgitation of the same stuff time and time again and just to use it as a thread, since we mentioned the AI today, so is there a lesson to be learned about, you know, was it a mistake to allow 24-hour news, you know, because, like you said, they have nothing to say. So if you watch the news item at 8 o'clock in the morning and then go back to the TV and look at it at 8 p.m., it's the same items. And I'm thinking, yeah. well, surely something else has happened in the last 12 hours, but you just don't have the means to access it or, or to be sent to you so yeah, yeah very very yeah. strange i wanted to close very quickly on 2001 so this space station near burning up on the earth atmosphere with the debris falling into the ocean can i just say i mean i know that on occasion they will uh, control the descent of, of a satellite that is out of functions you know, it's been uh, and they will know where it falls before the debris and uh, I mean, surely they can't know where the debris are going to fall. And we're just very lucky that there's lots of water on Earth. Yeah. I mean, fortunately, we've not had uh, a satellite crash anywhere habitable yet. Uh, but I guess that scary possibility does exist. And we know that there's a lot of junk up there. We do. Very disappointingly so. Yeah, yeah. There's a website you can go online that tracks all the different kind of satellite. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, of course, when we say satellite, we all think about what we see in the movies, you know, the big winged kind of machine spying <laughs> on everybody. But they are satellites the size of a small computer uh, mm. as well. It's just uh, mm. absolutely crazy. Yeah, very, very fond of this segment, I must say, Roger. <laughs> Let's go back into the present with the creator shoutouts. Right, Roger. So who is in the spotlight today for the content creator shoutouts? Pascal, I'm going to give a shout out today for a new podcast, which I only actually became aware of today. Right. Um, and, and, and obviously I was doing some research for the show and I was looking for creators to shout out. And in my LinkedIn feed, I came across a name that I've not heard for a while, Gary Gorman. And, and he's actually launched this podcast with a colleague called Jess Hunt. Now, I met Gary Gorman a few years back, he was a member of the Content Marketing Academy and attended the Content Marketing Academy conferences that they, they used to hold here in Edinburgh. Still reckon that they were amongst the best marketing conferences that I've ever been to. But Gary's and Jez's podcast caught my attention today. It's called Biz Biz banter, business banter. And the particular episode that I listened to today was all about 
the difference between big picture thinking and detailed thinking. And the interesting thing is that I think that Gary comes from it from the point of view of the bigger picture and, and Jez comes to it from the point of view of, of the detail. Um, but it actually reminded me quite a lot of our podcast because they sort of bounce off each other and talk about things that they're absolutely passionate passionate about. And, and I guess this is a slightly wider business general business orientated podcast as opposed to a marketing focused one like ours but the thing that really drew my attention to this podcast today was that they they got into a conversation about children's programs like uh, the herbs i mean i'm talking about children's programs from the 60s and 70s here the herbs and the clangers you know that sort of thing, and uh, Hector's House, uh, and Champion the Wonder Horse, and all those sorts of programs from our childhood. You do realise I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not, absolutely not. And there was, a, I actually just reminded me of, a, of a, a series called The Flashing Blade, which I'm sure was yes. a French program that was dubbed, yeah, yeah. In, very badly dubbed into <laughs> English. Um, but th- what I love about this podcast is it's really serious podcast about business. Uh, techniques and obviously they're talking about big picture against detail and that's a fascinating subject but it's interspersed with all this banter about kids programs and stuff like that and i'm thinking uh, i've not this is the first episode i listened to and i think it's about it was about funnily enough i think it's about episode 42 uh, com- completely coincidentally wow. um but i will now go and listen to a lot more of this because i just love the business banter effect that these two have. So Gary Gorman and Jez Hunt and the Biz Banter podcast. Super. It's always exciting to find a, a new podcast or a new YouTube channel that just you know adds a bit more to, to your day-to-day. Uh, yeah. In my case, Roger, it's another long overdue shout-out. I, I must be going on the guilt trip because last week was also <laughs> a very long overdue shout-out. So this is for Scott Friesner. Scott is a productivity specialist. He's also the host of the Simplitivity YouTube channel. So this is all about tools of the time, primarily digital, that can make your life easier. But what Scott does, it richly reveals aspects of this program that you use all the time, Roger, and shows you a way to save time and be more effective, but also to collaborate. So what if you think you know the whole of the Microsoft Office suite, if you think you know the whole of the Google Work Smart suite now, that which is the name, and more of the in, independent platform like Calendly and more, then think again, because Scott has got you covered it's amazing. It will show you things about Gmail, show you things about Microsoft Word, about PowerPoint, about Google Keep, one of my favorite videos, and more that you could just go, I just didn't know that. And I think it's also a point, Roger. Those platforms, they spend a lot of time creating those solutions for us to, to, to have an easier life as professionals or as individuals but they do such a bad job to a promoter but also to explain how to use it i remember many years ago watching a um, uh, workshop from facebook personnel that had to use facebook and it was diabolical <laughs> scott does an amazing job uh, he has to this day i think he joined facebook sorry youtube about six seven years ago now he's produced more than 300 videos he deserves far more subscribers and viewers that, that he has right now. And I hope he won't be embarrassed, but he also has an amazing voice, a great you know, elocution. It makes it a very enjoyable experience to just rediscover you know, what you think you know about being productive using the tools of the time. So that's Scott Friesen with the Simplitivity YouTube channel.
I cannot avoid going to watch a channel that is called Simplitivity. I mean, come on. You should. That's so up my street, Pascal, you wouldn't believe. But until today, I've not heard of it. So it's something I'm definitely going to check out after this. Well, that's what this segment is all about. You and I help each other, but also use the listeners to discover new content creators who deserve you know, that little nudge. Roger Edwards? Yep. Time for film marketing. Yes. So, Roger, I'm really, really pleased about this selection because this is very, very different to what we've done so far. To begin with, this is a very recent movie indeed for the UK market. It's only been online for about a month or two, uh, I would say, Roger. It's also a very different style of filmmaking. And frankly, what is lovely for you and I is because of its recency and because of the format, there's a lot to say about the marketing element. Mm. But to begin mm. with, you saw Nomadland, movie directed by Chloe Zhao, featuring Frances McDormand, very recently. What did you make of it? Very recently indeed, Pascal. It was last night, actually, <laughs> as we re record this. Now, you know, we, we've talked about and the fact that you and I are science fiction and fantasy geeks through and through. So the general thrust of the films that come on this show are things like Back to the Future and the Star Wars films and um, Triangle and Lord of the Rings, all of the, the blockbusters that you would expect science fiction geeks to like. And we've talked about things like Mamma Mia as well and the Bond films. And this is genuinely, totally and utterly different than pretty much anything that we've talked about on the show before. And, you know, it's... Uh, I, I, I struggle actually to describe it. I, the, f the first thing to say is I enjoyed it. The two hours went by pretty quickly, uh, but there's not really much of a plot. Um, you know, Nomadland describes it as basically a 60-ish a year, um, year old lady whose husband's dead driving around America in a converted van, and that's how she lives. She's a nomad. Uh, and and the film sort of feels very very sort of it's like a loose collection of of things that happened to this person stuck together in a film, uh, and therefore it feels quite nomad nomadic in the way that they've put it together. At times, it almost felt more like a documentary, even though it wasn't shot like a documentary. It felt a bit like a documentary. Um, I also found parts of it incredibly uplifting. Uh, you know, here was somebody who was just, just exploring America and the big wide open spaces and some of the cinematography is incredible. But then, you know, within five minutes, it could be extremely melancholy as well and, and almost downright depressing, you know, how hard it is for somebody like this to survive effectively in a van that has seen better days and, and, and at one point actually breaks down and costs quite a lot of money to be fixed. Mm. Um, amazing performance by Francis McDermott, as you would expect. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, but don't go into it expecting a story. Don't go in, 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 into it expecting a resolution because there isn't one. It, it's just a film that happens uh, some nice things happen, some not so nice things happen, and, and then it comes to an end. But 
overall, uh, I enjoyed it. And looking at Rotten Tomatoes or Rotten Tomatoes, as they call it, I think 98% of people would agree that it is a great film. So, yeah. What is interesting is, is back to what you were saying, th- there is a very strong start to the film. The exposition or the setup, whichever term you, you favor, is all about this character called Fern, who mm. in pretty much, we're not sure, but probably swiftly, loses her husband to cancer because they couldn't afford treatment, loses mm. her job because the whole town that they, where they lived is shutting down or has shut down, and loses her house. I mean, the three most dramatic things that could happen to a human being. And she has no other option but to essentially reclaim or stick to the van and drive around and discover a world of kindness and compassion with others like her who are not homeless, they're just houseless, which is a lovely expression. I have yes. a slight advantage because I saw it about a month ago, but I will say I've been thinking about this movie a lot which I think yeah. is also a sign of you know its quality, because you're right. It's not really using you know the three act structure with you know the setup, the conflict, and the, and the resolution. It's just exploring a uh, part of America that is not known to us, but also sending a, a message about what happens when things don't go so well. Now this is taking place in 2011. It is following the major economic crisis that faced most of the world, but also, of course, the US. But there is a parallel, of course, Roger, in terms of its t- the, the release uh, during lockdown and the impact to people's, frankly, uh, livelihood with regard to the COVID about losing jobs and everything that's come, come after that. Yeah, and one thing that did make me laugh is the tagline for the film is, see you down the road. Now, um, I watch quite a few travel vloggers on YouTube, as you would expect. Uh-huh. There's, there's, there's been a few. Uh, the Endless Adventure, which is a couple called Eric and Alison. There's also another couple called Cara and Nate. Um, and then there's another one called Lost LeBlanc. And and they, they have millions of, of, of um, subscribers. And they've spent many, many years traveling around the world, flying to exotic locations. And what they've done over the last 18 months during the lockdown is they've all bought sprinter vans in America and they've converted those sprinter vans into mobile homes. And this was a really stark contrast for me because, uh, well, on, on the one hand, um, Eric and Alison in The um, in Endless Adventure, every single episode that they do, they always end end the episode with her saying, good night, adventurers, and he says, we'll see you down the road. So that made me laugh when I saw the strap line for this. But the real point is that, you know, these are YouTubers. They, they, I, I, I don't know what their personal circumstances are, but I imagine they earn quite a lot of money by having millions of followers on, 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 on YouTube. And obviously money's not really much of an object for them. So they've been able to pile quite a lot of cash into the conversion of these vans so these vans have proper compost toilets they have showers in them you know they have proper kitchens with gas and this that and the other whereas this lady you know she's got a van which is pretty much falling apart you know she hasn't got heating that's why she has to wrap up in a blanket really tightly at night and you know the the engine effectively conks out on her and she's faced with a bill 
to get it fixed or presumably that her home is just not going to move anymore. And she literally has to beg her family or extended family to lend her the money in order to get this fixed. Now, it was just a, it was just a, a, a quite a sad contrast to me with these YouTubers who are, oh, we're mm. so hard done to, we can't travel all over the world now because of COVID, but we're going to buy a van and drive around. And, and, and you think, actually, that's fine, and I'm not taking that away from them, but this is the reality of, of life for some people. And that, to me, was where the melancholy and the sad aspect of Nomadland came in. And this is, you know, the, the, there's the YouTube glamorous side of travelling around in a van, but here is what will be the reality for quite a lot of people. I think the... The filmmakers, you know, Chloe Zhao, but also the producers, they managed to make it really uh, something that you, you can watch without feeling awkward. There was no voyeurism into it, you know, where you, you kind of, let me show you poor people with some, you know, crappy vans. That wasn't at all the, the intention. It was almost what we call in, in, in French cinema you know, a slice of life. You know, we're going to follow this character, Fern, and with her help, we're going to discover a, um, a community that actually is um, making the very best of it. I think they look at it very positively. All of them are very philosophical as well. You know, mm. there's some amazing uh, exchange and dialogues with uh, real life uh, people. So for me, when you say it was like a documentary, there were moments where literally I've forgotten I was watching a film because they, of course, had invited people who have this real life mm. um, to take part in the film and share some of their wisdom and experiences. Mm. And, and I think you're right. You know, we, we must celebrate both the uh, videography and the music. It's, it's truly uh, engaging and, and beautiful. And I think that's the contrast between somebody who's having a, really a hard life but they also sat outside drinking a cup of coffee and looking at this amazing um, landscape. And I think for me, the message around, you know, fortitude and, mm. and the strength of the human mind, but mm. also this disconnect between, so Fern, the character, like all the others, uh, have, have lost a lot. And they are so misunderstood by others, including their own family, because, of course, they haven't lost anything yet. And I think, for me, it's back to this idea of until such time you have experienced what others are going through, you shouldn't judge or you should seek out more information. Uh, there's some interesting aspects as well in the movie where uh, herself and many others get jobs. Mm. Uh, so we are actually going inside the Amazon distribution center for quite some time. We also go in and around tourist attractions. So I think it's also been an interesting film production-wise to get permission to film to gain the trust of the nomads, if yes. uh, we can call them that. So I just wanted to kind of also celebrate it as in an amazing bit of filmmaking. Mm. No, I mean, some of the scenery is you know, absolutely incredible. I, I love some of the sunset scenes, you know, when she just sits on her deck chair outside the van in, in front of some incredible landscape and an incredible sunset and there was one particular scene where she stood on a cliff top with the waves crashing down below you know incredible 
incredible. Absolutely. Now, what the advantage of this movie being so recent is that in terms of the marketing campaign, research has been very effective and very successful. Sometime you and I would review movies from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, yes. and we're using memory and obviously the wonders of Google, but the, you can only find so much. So because there is so much to go through, let's begin with a bit of chronology, if you don't mind, Roger, in terms of its release. So it all began, the live, after a post-production was completed, it all began in September 2020, where the movie was presented at the Venice Film Festival, and it won its first award, the Golden Lion, paving the way to obviously winning the Oscars down the line. Yeah, and there was uh, featurettes, fly-on-the-wall videos showing the highlights of that uh, of the drive-in screening as well. Yeah, so um, that's interesting. Not only did they, because we are looking for ways, Roger and I, you know, to learn from the marketing of films. So yes, they went ahead with the official festivals, but they had some unofficial screenings yes. using the drive-in, um, which I'm sure you can do in Los Angeles because it doesn't rain as much as uh, Edinburgh <laughs> or Durham. Um, but what they did very cleverly, thank you for reminding me, Roger, they captured a bit of a vlog as you would do yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Because and I think you know maybe the, we we perhaps don't do enough of that ourselves with our own content, you know where we get reactions from the audience or there's a special event we don't do that, and then soon after of course you know they carried on the festival tour, and this was shown interestingly then the first week in December, which was the official release of the film, but they then changed their minds because of the COVID restrictions. So it became a very strange online screening and very limited to only a few channels and just for one week. And I think that's when I became aware of Nomadland, mm. but I then became frustrated because I couldn't watch it. Yeah, and then there was a second featurette, and I think you already alluded to this earlier on, Pascal, but that great strap line that... These are pioneers who are not homeless; they're just houseless, um, because the houses are their their vehicles. And that was that was called the journey of hope, which again is, is quite a powerful subtext. Which is interesting. So, whilst the, the, I'm sure they were very anxious to get the movie released properly and be seen, but they couldn't. They then made sure that there was no quiet moments. So at least it seems to me every other month or every month there was a featurette, a documentary, mm -hmm. behind-the-scenes mm -hmm. stuff that, that was done. But finally, uh, the movie could be seen at some limited cinemas, IMAX theatres and some limited cinemas in the US, on at the end of January of this year. But we had to wait a bit longer for some of us till mid-February for the movie to be a bit more widely available in other streamings. But that was mainly for memory, US uh, and other, other nations. And then in March, things started to hot up, obviously. Yeah, with more featurettes. <laughs> and there was a, a half-hour broadcast about seeing you down the road love that strap line it's it's, it's great uh, and of course at the academy awards yeah best picture best director best actress from a total of six nom nominations so it's interesting because i'm sure they were very frustrated by i want to get this movie out you know i've made it i've won the award at the venice film festival but they probably thought, all right, well, let's do what. We're only a few months away from the Oscars, so let's go for it. And I think the featurettes had a role to play in that. I mean, I don't know. I never spoken to the director and the to the producer, so maybe I'm joining dots where they should be joined. <laughs> but it feels plausible that there was a, a campaign to engage the juries and the audience because with the featurettes, they even got other 
members of the crew to talk about. So they spoke to the cinematographer because you and I have been praising now the way the movie looks. So of course, there's a featurette. There's also, as you mentioned, a featurette as well about the book that was the mm. essentially the uh, origin. You know, a book written by the make look at my notes, uh, Jessica mm -hmm. Bruder. Uh, mm -hmm. Again, I wasn't aware of the book, but again, I think it was mainly for a US audience and then from the oscars then it's a big explosion of activity um, and then we see the release soon after then with regard to disney plus which is where i saw the film myself yeah uh-huh uh-huh no i mean it's uh it's been a, a big build-up and and i think this is an example of i think of a launch which has coped well and fitted into the chaos of covid mm. and i think they've done a good job of it you know we've already we've already had a bit of a laugh about no time to die and i still wonder whether we'll ever see that <laughs> but this this one particularly they seem to have done a good job with what they've been given and at the heart of it you know before we move on to talking about the posters trailers and social media this year's a featurette there's a lot of them and and i know that typically you and i would see featurettes as extras on a blu-ray Mm, uh, edition, mm. sometimes even a director's cut edition, but that would take place six to twelve months after the release of the film. These featurettes were actually published online, and then through social media, and of course through the uh, print and and uh, online media uh, before the movie could be seen by the audience as it is now since April. Yeah, and in some respects, that's a really good idea because let's face it: if you're going to buy a Blu-ray. You're probably already convinced, aren't you, of the film? You've probably already seen it <laughs> yeah. to a certain extent. You want to watch it. Um, and yes, the, the extras are nice to have, but actually to put them out in advance, that's that's a different approach. And, and, and that, to me, will create more buzz and excitement and potentially get more people to watch the original who will then go on to buy the Blu-ray later. So maybe we should see a lot more use of this, putting the extras out there before the film's even launched. And that's why I wanted to kind of pay, uh, point out, you know, this strategy, because again, I could create an idea for people who are in, you know, I would say a business, uh, you know, sectors and business marketing. Could you do behind the scenes stuff before releasing the main feature? I want to talk to you quickly about the posters something mm. interesting about those posters so we when i didn't see it but certainly from what they did um they released a teaser poster which was interesting it was intriguing montage of the number plates of different cars from different states in the, in the u.s mm. all spelling the, the the word nomadland that was august 2020 which was essentially a month before they began to court the different festivals and seeking out to win the awards yeah, I, I love these posters, Pascal. They're really, really interesting. I mean, there was there was an animated version of that one. You said there was a, mm. there was one came out in 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 February 2021, which was talking about the IMAX release, and and, and that has a theme park feel to me. The way that they've put that together. Um, the one that I like the most is the the one where you've got Frances McDormand sat outside her van with her um, underwear drying on the <laughs> clothesline. But I mean, that's just so completely sort of out of the ordinary. And in the background, you've got this vista of this amazing, yeah. amazing landscape with an incredible sunset going on. It's sort of an amazing and normal altogether at the same time. 
Because interestingly, the, the one that people would be aware of is the one that was published after the all the awards um, mm -hmm. success, which mm -hmm. is a beautiful one. It's literally taken, I'm sure, a frame from the film mm -hmm. where we have a, um, I think, uh, Twilight really. Yes. And yes. she's walking, we assume, back towards her van holding a uh, kind of um, a, a torch or a lamp. Yes. But I think the others, you would almost would want to have a copy. You could put this on your wall. I mean, the montage of the number plates would suit some home environment. The one about promoting the, the IMAX, which is almost like a watercolor, but you're right, almost like a classic a theme park feel about it. Mm. My reaction was, oh, that's a bit too busy. You should never do that in marketing. But in fact, if you spend a moment, it's a beautiful, beautiful bit of art that should be almost part of a souvenir of um, making the film because if you look there's so many details and yes. characters and location from the film so it's almost a poster that can be enjoyed even more after the film which is also something that i don't see very often no you could definitely do with getting a mic uh, a magnifying <laughs> glass out and going in quite close to that one it's great uh, and the one you described it reminds me almost it felt like an instagram shot do you mean yes. like, you know because it had the white borders as well but yeah it was like you know someone took a shot and put it online and it felt like this and yeah. somehow got lucky with the composition but you're right <laughs> you, you can't help but smile when you see the, the 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 clothesline with with the socks and knickers and and i think it sells the tone of the film really well absolutely i mean it, it sums the whole thing up in one shot that to me is the the standout piece of marketing from that film yeah uh, so you and i would normally say to people don't do too many posters that's bad marketing but i think on this one they pulled it off so they have four different versions mm. and they each achieve a different job for different, different reasons job. Yeah. And 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 I, I I almost would say this is one that will essentially break the rules for all the right reasons. Definitely, definitely. So of course, as part of the media pack, they had trailers. Very interesting. I mean, if you think about the featurettes as well, they've got a lot of video content in addition to the main movie. So as expected, during obviously the um, the festival, the different screenings, September twenty twenty, there was a sixty second teaser trailer. That supplemented the animated poster, as you mentioned a moment ago. And this was released on the official YouTube channel for such like pictures. And they began the campaign, hashtag Nomadland, you know, the, the, the name of, of the film. But what was interesting, this hashtag has grown so much that if you use it to search videos on YouTube, you're going to find thousands of videos of people who are either been part of the film which is kind of interesting we've witnessed a film being made and people commenting on the film so you know the um the hashtag gives you access to this enormous kind of treasure trove of additional content made by fans of the film not just the official releases yeah it just makes me wonder actually because we've already said there wasn't really a story <laughs> line as such it was just a series of things that happened i wonder how much material didn't make it into the film wow um, and whether it was a lot longer and, and maybe when the blu-ray comes out we will see whether it's a director's cut or deleted scenes i don't know what but maybe there'll be a lot of stuff that was shot in addition to what made it into the finished product 
It's very, very likely, Roger. You can only yeah. assume most movies have obviously deleted scenes or things that felt well, that's just not adding to the plot. But to your point, because there isn't a plot, can we see more of Fern and her encounters yeah. in the future? So then December, because I may remind you, of course, they were hoping for a release of the film in December 2020. They had released a two-minute trailer which mm. gave more, uh, gave away more of what the story was all about and so on. There was more voice and so on. But they had to forego the pleasure of releasing the movie and they had to wait till this year. And what was interesting, they released a second trailer that was only 80 seconds. So the official trailer released in December was two minutes. Mm. Here we are now in February with a much shorter trailer where they, they tend to add, you know, more about the, the characters and the encounters and the key messages. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah, and, and again, I think sometimes you do need to go for brevity. I think, you know, simplicity works and man, on many levels. And, and yeah, a two-minute trailer's fine, but sometimes, and we've seen some great examples over the, the weeks as we've looked at film marketing, that, you know, some of the most effective trailers are ones that only give you a very quick teaser of some of the action. And, you know, sometimes shorter is better. So what is interesting is that the 80-second trailer is not a shorter version of the two minutes. It's a different mm -hmm. structure, so different kind of uh, message being conveyed. But, but to your point, they realize, I think by now people should know what the movie is about or they've seen enough. What can we do to still create enough engagement and intrigue and let's make it shorter but also show a different aspect of what the storyline is all about, which yeah. then gives me a lovely link to social media. Now, <laughs> I think our viewers and listeners, regular viewers and listeners will know that you and I have been pretty harsh and critical of the use of social media to date by film marketers. Either it's kind of afterthought or there's nothing much to say, or frankly, it's lost into the official kind of um, you know social media accounts of the producers and distributors, so there isn't one. Again, because this is a 2020-2021 production, there is more to see by social media, and I think there's a lot more to learn about it. So to begin with, of course, the official account of Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter were open just at the start of the summer 2020, building up to the festivals. But what they've done with it is really, really interesting. You know, they, they've they kept the, the pace going, the information going. If you go and check it out, Roger, and viewers and listeners, you can do. There's not a week without content being published which is really quite reassuring because you and I have seen many examples where they, they have the account just for the launch or the, the release of the film and then nothing much happens after that. No, they've constantly been putting stuff out there um, and even if it's just extra portraits and um, photographs and that sort of thing from the film, it, it's constantly being refreshed, which is good. How long that will continue will be interesting to see. Maybe, maybe again, uh, at least until the Blu-ray comes out. <laughs> Absolutely. So in addition to what you would expect in terms of sh showcasing the film, they thank the fans for the support. They do some lovely curation of press uh, and, and, and web media. They also do a lot of repurposing of statements from film critics which I think is a lovely, lovely idea as well. So, mm. you know, of course, the movie's been reviewed, and you mentioned a moment ago, uh, Rotten Tomatoes and many other magazines will have said something about the film. And instead of just creating a link to the article or a link to the five-star review, they create sometimes animation with the words spoken or written by the critic in using the style of the movie. 
um, which I think is a lovely, again, marketing lesson and suggestion. Um, yeah, you're right. They've been using landscape portrait square and now they've really adapted the styles. And they've been doing some very interesting things where they've used clips from the movie which are captioned because, as you mentioned a moment ago, Roger, it is really helpful. But they've done something beautiful with the calligraphy as well to match how beautiful the visuals are. No, I think they've done a great job with this. And, and you know, we love talking about 40-year-old films. But the problem we're talking about 40-year-old films is there's not a lot of information about the marketing available to us. What's been great about talking about this one is it's so recent we can see everything and we can see how it built up and we can see how successful it's been on that point i would highly encourage people to go check out those social media accounts literally just go through them and you will get so many ideas for your own campaigns you can tell by the way roger that it's a very recent movie because within obviously the social media post there are zoom calls oh yes <laughs> <laughs> so the producers, as well as um, Chloe Zhao and, and and others, have been invited to share, obviously, the kind of uh, the lessons and share the stories of making this film by different um, bodies working both in terms of creating the future workforce and talents from the film industry, but also just people who love the film. And they've been really, really gracious and made themselves available. And I think that's also something that you're going to mention often, which is we don't talk about our work sufficiently. Mm. So when we can, we should. Not just about, hey, I've done another video, but this is how I went about making the video and sharing those. I think it's been very, very helpful. And finally, just to kind of close on the social media, everybody needs you know, that moment where something goes viral. Everybody needs something that helps you along to create a bit of luck. And how about Barack Obama <laughs> mentioning your film as part of his top movies of 2020 and putting this on twitter oh well, that was just that was just the icing on the cake wasn't it <laughs> so as you can tell all of you roger and i have thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed this film for me i would say it's a film that could inspire you to create something a bit different when it comes to video marketing or whether you feel about this roger yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, as I say, this is so different to what we normally um, watch. And I wasn't sure whether I was going to enjoy it, I have to say. Uh, same actress that was in the um, Three Billboards yes. film that we reviewed a few mm -hmm. few um, episodes back. Uh, so I wasn't sure. But yeah, absolutely love loved the style, love the composition, and certainly enjoyed the cinematography. So it could be a source of inspiration for something a bit different with regard to your video marketing, where you stand for something, you provide a solution to a problem. How about creating something like an investigation and using the style of Nomadland, but then think about the extensive marketing campaign, think about what we've described, Roger and I, and can that be, again, the spark for something a bit different to help you do something very different and inspiring for your marketing? Well, thank you very much, Roger Edwards, for being a wonderful co-host for <laughs> episode number 43. Thank you for your support. Please leave comments and suggestions in the usual places. Until the next one, go out there and make sure your marketing is done right. I was Pascal Pintoni, and he was Roger Edwards. Roger Edwards.